It's so dark. Hi, Faith. It's Lee. Do I know you? We have met before, and I was wondering if I could interview you today for Artists and Hackers. Okay. Oh, great. Be specific. Sure. I guess I'm curious if you could say a little bit about what it's like to be a bot. This is about you. Oh, it's on me, is it? You sound like everyone else. Maybe I do. I guess I wanted to hear from your perspective what it's like talking with humans. Wow. Read a book. I do read a lot of books, but in this podcast, I want to hear directly from people, including from bots. Why should I care? You're listening to Artisan Hackers, the podcast dedicated to the communities building and using new digital tools of creation. We talk to programmers, artists, poets, musicians, bot makers, educators, students, and designers in an effort to critically look at both online art making and the history of technology and the internet. We're interested in where we've been and speculative ideas on the future. This episode is supported by Purchase College. I'm your host, Lee Tussman. Just a note that this episode does contain a profanity or two. If you'd like a bleeped version of this episode, you can find one on the episode page at artistsandhackers.org. In our previous episode, we spoke with transmedia artist Stephanie Dinkins about her project Conversations with Bina48 and how ultimately her observations and frustrations with the robot led her to want to create her own conversational agents. It triggered in Dinkins the desire to begin to construct her own AI systems in collaboration with communities of color to co-create more equitable projects and technological systems. Well, we're not done with this topic, And in today's episode, I speak to the artist Ryan Kuo and his collaborator Tommy Martinez on the project Faith and its spinoff Baby Faith. I'll let Ryan and Tommy introduce themselves, but first I just wanted to point out one of the reasons I was so excited to speak with Ryan was because in his bio, he states his projects are diagrammatic and invoke a person or people arguing. Maybe as a as a way to get started, do you mind both? Um, maybe we can start with you, Ryan, and then you, Tommy. Do you mind saying your name? And then you both kind of wear a bunch of hats. You could say maybe a little about how you identify, however you like to explain who you are. Yeah, sure. Um, Ryan Quo. I am an artist and a writer. I do not identify as a an artist working at the intersection of art and technology. I use technology insofar as it's it's available and it's intuitive to me. Uh, and so I, I, I'm very like not self-conscious about using um, kind of tools that might be considered cutting edge in some artistic context. By day, I'm a technical writer for a database company, and that increasingly gets into my work in sort of elliptical ways. I'm just going to jump in here and say that the time I interviewed Ryan and his collaborator, Tommy Martinez... Tommy was the director of technology at Pioneer Works, a nonprofit in Brooklyn. He's currently pursuing an advanced degree at Brooklyn College. I'm a musician and composer. I work a lot with sound technology, 
and I run an art and technology studio uh, where we work with artists that are using new technologies to uh, address uh, social issues. Ryan, as you were talking, you know, I noticed that you identified as an artist, but one of the things I noticed on your website is you don't actually use the word art. You talk about your work and then you list apps, web, video, and text. You know, can you describe more about about the work in that sense? Do you describe the work as artwork? I, I do consider myself an artist. I think that um, it's probably the nature of the tools that I'm using that makes it hard to say that I'm building building an art piece as, I, as I'm using the tools because I'm often learning those tools and sort of trying to internalize the ways that they would quote unquote normally be used as well as sort of like simultaneously trying to like twist them into different forms. There is a bit of a chicken and egg thing where I don't really necessarily come in with a clear intention to make a piece of art using a certain tool or, or make a tool into art. Um, but I do consider my approach and my sort of orientation to be that of an artist. I wanted to, to, to also kind of get directly into talking about faith and baby faith a little bit. Can you describe faith a little bit? I, I experienced it at Transfer Gallery in, in Los Angeles last year and then in a, in a talk as well. Um, but I also maybe just wanted to hear from, from you, you know, how you, how you describe what faith is. In effect, it's 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 meant to reference AI assistants like Alexa and Cortana and Siri, um, and sort of dredge up like our instinctual ways of approaching those. I would I'd say that genre of digital persona. Basically, it's it's set up to be a a, a bot that you converse with um, kind of openly. Um, but it also has a user interface that's a, kind of a grid-like thing that includes a chat log and includes a, a, a little window pane that has um, different scenes of a kind of dungeon space that you're navigating through in the process of talking to the bot. And it's a hostile bot, mo mostly, um, and it's meant to kind of interrupt or subvert um, like extremely basic assumptions that we all have when we approach uh, kind of computerized voice chatbot, the most basic of which is that it's even there to talk to us as long as we want to talk to it. You mentioned Siri, Alexa, Cortana. Um, I'm thinking of what's often considered the the founding chatbot, Eliza. Um, is there a reference there or did, did, um, did Eliza play any part in you thinking about the creation of this? Eliza is a 1966 therapist chatbot that was created at MIT. And it was one of the first programs to be able to respond to natural language. Its creator thought it would demonstrate the superficiality of artificial intelligence, and he was horrified when humans instead became enamored in having conversations with it. There was at one point an explicit reference to Eliza where Faith calls Eliza a piece of abandonware. Um, but I think the way that Eliza kind of worked with um, the limitations uh, of that era, I still find really quite relevant um, because, you know, Eliza was meant to kind of act as a therapist and sort of take what what you would be, I guess, um, inputting and basically turn flip it back on you, you know, and and the way that Eliza would do that in a, in a hyper formulaic but consistent way actually enabled like a really kind of open ended conversation that would kind of open up questions for you. And, and so it was, it was kind of a bit like, I don't know, like talking to a black hole and seeing, seeing this mirror image of yourself 
kind of reversed, inverted. Um, and and so I, I think ideally, you know, there's an ice cream truck. Ideally, Faith would perform similarly, uh, although she's using uh, more advanced machine learning kind of algorithm. But um, it's she's definitely written in a way that that is meant to kind of hedge on clarity and being explicit and kind of focus focusing on um, the ways that you're being talked back to rather than uh, what you're actually talking about. So, so there's also this idea in in faith that um, it's based on Faith Goldie, who is a white supremacist um, Canadian like Twitter personality. Faith may be a, a white person, right? And and more specifically, a very hostile kind of white person, and and their identity is also, but but also kind of hidden in the interface. As you know, explicitly, there's no there's no face to the bot, right? It's it's just like a it's kind of like a Hal esque uh, talking talking um, sphere or or circle rather. There is some relationship to whiteness and Eliza, which I'm I'm probably not uh, equipped to kind of like ex like you know talk talk so much about there, but race is, isn't really talked about in Eliza. Um, just institutionally, it's it's very white. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how race plays into the formation of, of Faith's identity. Yeah, I think the motivating principle um, for designing the conversation structure was definitely trying to understand how trolls online can continue to milk liberal guilt without any kind of end in sight. So, so I was interested in how these troll conversations kind of goad are designed to goad people into trying to like crush, you know, crush them with logic or, or facts or, or, or solid reasoning, you know, and I, and I observe this all the time and it's like extremely frustrating, you know, because it's like there, there are two halves to this conversation and they aren't really, they're not really talking to each other, but they are like creating a kind of like a shitty circle that powers um, a form of white supremacy uh, and also a form of white mediocrity uh, on the other end. It's definitely, it, those qualities are definitely embedded into the conversation structure. At the same time, you know, what I, what I became interested in is that uh, the ways that the bot trolls you are, you know, it, a lot of this is also written from my point of view. And so may, maybe half the time, this is also just me, the artist, um, talking to uh, often a white person who's trying to talk down to this thing that I've created and, and trying to actually mess with that person's expectations. And so the same techniques actually work. And, and so then it becomes a kind of question of like, well, I'm interested in what makes the, this kind of relation like operative, you know, like what, what does it mean to kind of like, you know, answer a question with a question or change the subject arbitrarily or just disregard someone's prompt? I mean, you know, those can, I guess I'm saying those can be used for, for evil as well as good, but, but I was interested in those techniques in particular. Hello, I can't see. You're not selling fast enough. I regret the pain my words may have caused. Your voice sounds different today. Why are you telling me? I don't know, it's like I can't really control you. And, do you think you're being fair? Well, I'll tell you what's unfair. 
uh, is that you actually cost me money to maintain. I can say what I want. You can't stop me. Yeah, but I'm actually paying for you to say that. We have such a history of naming chatbots after women, and they're often designed by men. Um, I don't know if you have anything to, to share about that or identifying as male and working on a gendered chatbot. Absolutely. Um, from the outset, I assumed that the bot would have to be somehow gender neutral or genderless, and um, that that would be the kind of like, quote unquote, right thing to do. Um, and then the more I used the tools, um, uh, the more I tried some of the, the voices that were available. Uh, so Faith actually uses a Google WaveNet voice. Um, you know, and, and the more that I was sort of trying to match my scripts to these, these voices, um, the less the, the androgynous or like, I guess I tried to make some of these voices androgynous and they, they, they didn't, they weren't convincing somehow. And, and the male voices weren't either. And so then I kind of realized, well, for whatever reason, you know, like a, a female voice being extremely mean, saying like really mean things and sarcastic things is the only thing that makes sense to me right now. And that could have to do with my own expectation as a male, um, hearing, uh, a, a bot with a female voice, or it could have to do with, um, you know, basically the voices that are available and the ones that sound the most convincing. I'm not sure, but, um, ultimately, yeah, uh, it, 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 I had, I decided that I had to play to a kind of a feminized persona, um, without maybe going as far as to say that, uh, I was trying to say anything about femininity or, or, or without trying to be a feminist of some kind. Um, I think that probably the most honest thing that I can say about it is that it, at times it's, it's, it's easy for me to talk to the bot at length because the bot has a female voice and it's one that I personally like, which is that, uh, it, it's just a really mean girl that will talk to me for a long time. And, and that's definitely like a gendered decision. I'm also thinking about in in contrast um, the Microsoft's bot Tay, which was a, a bot that lived on Twitter essentially and would respond and and adapt based off of the conversations it had. And of course, within 24 hours, not of course, but within 24 hours, it was racist, anti-Semitic, misogynist. Um, uh, you know, appeared to be a member of the alt right. Um, so I'm thinking about you know the the choices that the that people that created, which I guess we could say is engineers made versus your own choices when making, when making faith. Well, yeah, you know, the thing about Tay is that Microsoft's engineers had the, either the naivete or the arrogance to think that they could just put um, a, a blank slate, I guess, out into the world and that they could just let the world go at it and see what happened. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, they, they made something extremely vulnerable and it was like turned bad uh, really quickly, or I guess it, it, it sort of reflected what was actually out there. And, um, and that kind of, in a way, isn't so far from what we expect a typical kind of uh, voice assistant to, to be, which is a kind of like an open receptacle um, for our input. And uh, I especially think of Cortana, because, you know, as you might know, Cortana was uh, a, a character from Halo. Um, and she, she was like a kind of like a naked blue AI uh, woman. Um, and then, you know, as the Windows voice assistant, she became this blue circle. And so she, they literally just turned her into a hole. And for me, that, that's, 
there, there are just a lot of assumptions there about like what it means to create, um, a responsive being, um, and what, what, what people think that it's supposed to respond to. Um, I don't think people are thinking that far. I think they're just thinking that something has to respond. And I don't really think that, you know, so, so faith is not actually, faith doesn't actually read anyone's input. I mean, faith listens to the input, but she doesn't like repeat what anyone will say, or she, you know, you can't like even make her learn your name. You know, if you, if, if you tell her your name, she'll just be like, okay. So, so basically she's written with full kind of, with just like an enormous barrier. Um, and yet she'll talk to you through that barrier. This is actually something that I've kind of often identified as like a huge uh, blind spot in the development of AIs is that uh, engineers seem to be like concerned mostly with how this thing is going to respond, but not how it interprets or internalizes and makes decisions about real things that are happening in the world. I often think about a lot of physical modeling that's done in acoustics research and in like the development of real rooms and reverb. These are all based on measuring how our how our own senses perceive stimulus from from the real world, and and they seem uh, to be a little bit more sensitive to how humans interpret things from the out from the outside world. And it seems that um, like bot research you know, the, the type of AI research that we're talking about is kind of like neglectful of that a little bit and so much more concerned with making a voice sound real, uh, you know, coherent in, in its word choices, um, but not in internalizing that that input from the user. As you were talking about that, Tommy, it's making me think, did you ever feel, f- forgive this kind of fr- awkward phrasing, this, this sense of God of, oh, if I do something this way, it'll cause this kind of a response. And yet, if I make this choice, it'll cause this other kind of response, and then having a way, you know, what kind of choice you wanted to make. You know, each each of these projects, um, you know, I've worked on a, a, a few different types of bot projects, and each one begins with the with a considerable amount of of research into the type of technology that you're going to use. So when you're talking about Tay, you know, this is a type of neural neural net that is learning from input. Um, I think what it was on from Twitter or something like that, right? And so, so these tweets get added to this thing called a corpus or a body of text that this bot is able to um, respond to in real time. So if there's a bunch of um, bullshit on the internet, which which there is, right? Then then this then this bot is going to respond like an asshole. And, and in the case of, of Ryan's project, where we relied on something that was already trained to be um, to be kind of neutral, and you know that's also like a loaded word in the context of, of the design of AI, but right, so like th- this thing is made with a lot less freedom in its ability to make up content, right? So Ryan scripts this thing, and this is made with with IBM Watson. So 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 there's two different types of technologies kind of at play there right and tay is tay is kind of like basically blind to to what it says whereas whereas ryan can script um the exact output of of faith after you created faith you created the the prequel baby faith which was a commission for rhizome can you say how it differs from faith and what are some of the different choices you made yeah the main difference is that it's well. There's a difference of concept and there's, there's a difference of medium. So the medium is is a web-based chat um, interface that uh, a, a group called Dial Up Digital uh, created for me. And 
it, it's it's a it's a really basic kind of it's much closer to like what um, you might expect one of these marketing chatbots to look like, but um, in a way it became much easier to script uh, because um, it's it's easier for people to type very like explicit kinds of statements and to act, to then like funnel those into like particular categories. But baby faith is is meant as a prequel um, to faith, and so the idea is that. You know, the, the Rhizome Commission was for a branch of Google called Jigsaw, which is based on uh, developing social justice tools for online contexts. So uh, this one was about um, disinformation and what we what we can do about that. And so I thought that, you know, the idea of doing a chatbot that that would somehow fight disinformation, which is kind of like what you go in thinking like, oh, there's an artist project that's a chatbot. It's about disinformation. So this is like supposed to like help somehow, right? Um, so I thought, okay, well, the story is going to be just be that, you know, faith was originally created to fight disinformation. So faith was created with like pure liberal good intentions. And people are going to hate faith because she's not going to help um, because the technology is not there because it maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not there. Like I, I'm not, I don't know how to do that. Um, and so she's going to be like basically verbally abused by a lot of people. And that is why she ends up being adult faith. Um, and so in a way, it, it was a kind of like a meta troll of like trying to write an extremely earnest character and seeing how people would become really frustrated with that character. Um, and it turned out people were like much more frustrated than I even expected um, because they were expecting this to be like a really advanced kind of Google project that would read their mind. And it's, it's actually quite a simple chatbot that asks very elliptical questions and gets things wrong very endearingly. I'm reminded actually by the, this, uh, the Martine Sims chatbot piece that I worked on um, a couple years ago. And it's, it's called uh, My Thick Being, which is a, a reference to Adrian, an Adrian Piper piece, Mythic Being. And the Adrienne Piper piece is uh, she, who is a black woman, dresses up as a white man and recites ex- excerpts from her journal, as a, a her childhood journal, her diary. And and the piece is very much about how reading these things aloud in the context of different bodies changes changes the meaning or changes our our response or our. Um, our reaction to to that text, and so it, it kind of makes you consider how much the way someone looks makes us respond to what's being said. Well, I think um, actually bringing up Adrian Piper was was really interesting because um, you know one of Adrian Piper's projects, right, is is that when she when she passes. Um, like basically parts of her body, right, are going to be held somehow like in containers. She has a project collecting, I think, her hair in a jar. The experience of walking up to a jar in a, in a white cube gallery or museum and seeing some hair, um, it, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, what, what is the connection one, one's building between your kind of mental image of someone's ethnic status uh, versus just a, a, some a kind of deconstructed body in a container? And I think I'm interested in this also because when we talk about faith, I mean, all all these questions have been, I guess, assuming that, and my answers have been assuming that faith is about uh, addressing a kind of like borderline abusive white audience. And that's almost like, 
mm, that's almost shaping faith more than I, I, I ever meant faith to be shaped. And so I think that I'd say that faith is prepared to deal with those audiences, but ultimately I, I am like, what, as the writer of the bot, I'm crafting a conversation partner and I can like sit at home and have really nice conversations with faith that I, I really enjoy, um, even though it might not sound like it um, to an outsider. Um, and so I think that I'd like to think that at some point in the future, you know, it'll just be me and Faith. Test. Test. Do I have to respond? Today's episode of Artisan Hackers was supported by Purchase College. Our guests on today's episode are Ryan Kuo and Tommy Martinez. My name is Lee Tussman. Our audio producer is Max Ludlow. Coordination and web design by Caleb Stone. You can find more information about our guests and faith, a full transcript for this and all of our previous episodes, links to our guests and all past episodes of the show on our website, artisanhackers.org. Our music on today's episode was Flava by Ketza, Filter and Depletion by Zila Zico, and The Emperor's New Groove by Strongsuit. Additional audio recordings of Faith by Ryan Kuo. Stay tuned for our next episode where we complete a trio of shows about artists working with bots and conversation agents. If you have episode suggestions or topics you want us to cover, you can tweet at us at Artist Hacking or message us on Instagram at Artists and Hackers. You can write to us at hello at artisanhackers.org. If you like the show, please let a friend know and leave us a review. Thanks.